All right, Matthew chapter 6. This morning I'm going to take just a few minutes, and I, I recognize the time, so I'll keep this to an hour or less. Okay? Um, Matthew chapter 6. Well, I want to talk about fasting. We've been talking about prayer for the last several weeks, the prayer of faith, the power of prayer. And there's something that goes along with prayer is fasting. Now, in our society, if you look around, our society is dominated by food. Okay, commercials on TV, you can't drive down any street really, you see signs or places where you can buy food. People set their schedules by meals, I mean everything in our life seems to be dominated and controlled by food. And so when we talk about this idea of fasting, it may come across as archaic or old-fashioned or just weird, and there's a lot of people who don't take this seriously, but this principle of fasting, and I want to call it a principle because that's what it is, is, is something that has been a part of the worship and the life of believers all the way back, not just even into the early church, but all the way back into Israel and before, okay? It's something that's been regularly practiced by God's people. In fact, fasting is not unique to God's people. It was something that was even practiced in heathen religions, uh, before Israel came about, during Israel's time on the earth, when they were a nation, and even in the early church, or the, during the time of the early church, um, the heathen people practiced fasting in one for one purpose or another, many of them to appease their gods, to get favor from their gods, in trying to uh, present this self-suffering to the god through this fasting. So fasting is not a new idea. It's a very old principle. But unfortunately it is abused and misused or not understood by many people, even believers today. And so I want to take a few minutes and just talk about fasting in conjunction with prayer because they do go together. Okay? Fasting, we have to understand, is a biblical fast of practice and a biblical principle. And just because there are many people who abuse it or use it outside of what God has ordained it for, doesn't mean we should just ignore it, okay? Um, there's many cults, there's many false religions that misquote and misapply Scripture. That doesn't mean we should just abandon Scripture, okay? There's many different religions that misuse or misapply baptism. That doesn't mean we should stop baptizing. And so just because fasting may not be understood or may be abused, doesn't mean we should just abandon it. And that's why I want to take a minute to look at it um, and starting off, I want to say this. Fasting actually has kind of gotten a rejuvenation in our culture in the last 10 or 15 years. There's a current trend to use fasting, or what they call intermittent fasting, for weight loss. And the lots and lots of people are, are jumping on board with this fasting for weight loss and for health. In fact, one of the most popular books in this realm is a book called Fasting the Ultimate Diet written by a doctor named Alan Cobb. And he, in this book, lists how you should fast, and then he gives all the benefits that come from fasting. And he starts, obviously, with weight loss. That, that's why a lot of people do fasting, for weight loss. But then he goes on, he says, um, the benefits include feeling better physically and mentally, looking and feeling younger, saving money. In other words, the less food you eat, the less money you'll spend on food. Uh, giving your digestive system a rest, cleaning out the body, lowering blood pressure and cholesterol, uh, helping to reduce smoking, drinking, and drugs, 
relieving tension, better sleep, better digestion, feelings of euphoria, sharpening your senses and mental processes, boosting self-esteem, building self-control and discipline, even sharing with the poor and hungry because you're not eating at all, so give it to them, and then even receiving spiritual revelations or breakthroughs in your life. So there's this multiplicity of benefits that he attaches to fasting. I'm not going to say that these don't happen, okay? But all of them, except maybe with the exception of the last one, the spiritual revelation or breakthrough, all of them are physical. All of them are uh, something other than what fasting should be focused on, okay? There's 90 passages, more than 90 passages in Scripture that talk about fasting. I'm not going to read all of them today, okay? None of them list any of these reasons for fasting. None of them deal with any of these things. So the idea of fasting has been hijacked, in a sense, by the world, by the culture, by different people, for different purposes. But God has given us a basis in His Word for fasting to understand it, how to practice it, and what it's supposed to mean. So I want to take a minute just to go over some of these things. And, and let's start in Matthew chapter 6. Because Jesus talks about fasting here, verses 16 through 18, just three verses. And Jesus says, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not to men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Let's take a minute just to pray, and then we'll look at this passage a little bit more. Father, we are engaging in your word now, and we just need your help as we look at this idea of fasting and the principles in Scripture. Lord, just guide us by your Spirit. Pray that you'd open our minds and help us to learn these things and to be able to, to just understand how this all works in our lives today. And Lord, I need your help as I preach. I pray that you just give me power and strength and wisdom. Give me the words to say so that we might hear truth from you, your truth, and be challenged and, and grow by it. And we thank you for this time now, in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus addresses fasting, the context of Matthew chapter 6 here, um, he, he basically points out in the previous verses three things, okay? There's prayer, there's giving, and there's fasting. He says the Pharisees do all three of these wrong. They do it for the wrong purposes, and it's all hypocritical. And so in the, in the first part, he says you need to give right. Do it for the right reasons. And then the second part, he says, you need to pray right and do it for the right reasons. And in the middle of that, he gives us the Lord's Prayer, which we prayed this morning. Okay? And then right after that, he addresses fasting. He says, this is another thing that the Pharisees do regularly, or that religious people put out put as part of their Christian life. But it's hypocritical. It doesn't accomplish anything for them. It gives them no rewards. And so I'm going to teach you how to do it the right way. And he doesn't go into an extensive explanation. He just basically says, when you fast, do it for God. You don't do it for other people. You don't do it for your own purposes. You do it for God, to God. And he goes so far as to say, don't let anybody else know. Don't even look like you're fasting. Because the Pharisees want everybody to see what they're doing, but God is going to reward you because of your heart, not because of what you do in the open. So Jesus says, 
here, and, and this is the point we need to start on, verse 17, but when thou fastest, or when thou fast, not if, he says when, so Jesus is assuming that fasting is going to be a part of a believer's life, okay? So we start with that premise, and I have to start there because otherwise this would be meaningless for us if it wasn't important for us. So Jesus says, when thou fast, that means we should. Now, when, how, he has to explain all that. But there are principles and examples all through Scripture that give us, I think, enough substance to understand what he's talking about. So when he says, when thou fast, we should be. But let's, exp let, let's explore fasting a little bit. We're going to start with a definition, and it's a very simple de definition, and it's based on the words in the original languages, the, literal, uh, the original manuscripts of the Scripture. Fasting is abstinence from food. That's the best definition, the, the simplest definition you can come up with. Now, the reason we have that definition is because the word fasting in Hebrew is psalm, okay, and it's translated not to eat. That's pretty plain. In Greek, the word is mystea, and the meaning is no food. So, I don't know that you could get any other definition for fasting than not eating food. Okay, so an abstinence from food is a very simple definition. But when we talk about fasting, and even in Scripture there's examples of what we might call fasting, it's not always just a total abstinence from food, okay? That's not the most important point. The point is why we do it and how we do it. But anyway, we start with this idea of it's abstaining from food, sustenance, something we need to live. Now here's the point. As we fast, when we fast, Jesus says, we withhold food from ourselves for a certain period of time, but there's a purpose for it. It's not just to do it. Okay? And so we have to understand the purpose. Now, it may not be food. We may be able to fast from something else. Some people take a fast from TV, social media, uh, dessert, uh, entertainment, you know, I don't, family, maybe sometimes, I don't know. Okay? But people call as fasting because they're abstaining from something in their lives that is a regular part of their lives. My daughter, Charity, in school just went through a week-long social media fast and dessert fast. They were two separate assignments. She waited and did them both at the same time. So she had a rough week. Okay? No dessert, no social media. But... It was to teach the principle of denying yourself, and that's really what this is based upon, okay? So it ultimately comes down to withholding from myself something that I would otherwise need, specifically food in many cases, in order to use the time that I would be engaging in that process and spend that time with the Lord instead, seeking Him diligently. Now, we've been studying fervent prayer for the last several weeks. Okay? We talked about it a lot. And I gave you a picture of what fervent prayer is continually beating. Remember the, the, the stump that my dad had and continually beating on that until eventually it split. And that's the, the, the picture Jesus gave of fervent prayer. So intensely focused on what we were praying to God for. 
that we go back to him over and over and over and over and over again with that in mind. And then when we add fasting to that, the idea is I'm so intent on connecting with God and communicating with God that I don't even have time for food. I don't need food because I need God. That's where fasting begins, where the principle of fasting begins. And so it's a way to demonstrate to God and to ourselves that we're serious about our relationship with Him. Okay? Now God knows our hearts. It's not like we're proving anything to Him. But God wants us to hold on to Him. And fasting is a way that we demonstrate, especially to ourselves, I am willing to give this up so I can really diligently seek God in this specific matter. As one pastor put it, he said, fasting is the spiritual discipline of denying ourselves something to feast on the things of God. Now, here's a point I want you to understand. There's nothing spiritual in and of fasting itself. Just because we choose to fast doesn't make us more or less spiritual. Okay? The Pharisees thought that that was something that would make them spiritual, and so they regularly did it. But Romans chapter 14 says, the kingdom of God is not food or drink. It's not about what we eat or how we eat or what we drink or how we drink. Okay? The Bible does tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. But Romans tells us very clearly, the kingdom of God is really not made up of food or drink. So this is not going to make you spiritual or unspiritual. It is something that we do as a, an act of self-deniance as we approach God diligently seeking Him fervently in a specific matter. Okay? It's not a way to get God to do what we want Him to do. It's not a way for us to appear more spiritual than others. In fact, that's why Jesus said here, don't go around and show it like the Pharisees do. Don't talk about it. Don't let people know you're fasting. Because the only purpose in telling somebody you're fasting is to appear spiritual to them so you'll have a better reputation in their eyes. And Jesus says that defeats the whole purpose. So we're not interested in this outward presentation, outward performance, or in some mystical, physical, self-centered kind of fast to get um, a more slim-looking body or a more healthy lifestyle or even some kind of metaphysical way to call down blessings from God. That's not what fasting is about. Okay? We're not interested in fasting just to fast. There's got to be a spiritual context and a specific reason why we're doing it. Uh, John MacArthur said there's a reason to inflict yourself in that manner, talking about denying yourself food. The reason is a consuming one, so that fasting is almost not something you choose to do, but something you cannot avoid. In other words, I am so desperate to connect with God, to communicate with God, to fellowship with God, that I don't even think about food. All I think about is God and being in fellowship with Him. Let me give you some examples from Scripture, and I'm going to try to go through these quickly. Some reasons for fasting. Okay, firstly, and I've got nine or ten of them here, so I'm going to go quickly, so hopefully you can follow along. First one is in mourning and sorrow. Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 3, we have the uh, example of David when he was fasting over the death of Abner. Now remember, Abner wasn't on, uh, always on great terms with David. He was a very important person to David, but when Abner died, David fasted. And 
So he was mourning the death of, of that man. Uh, when the plague hit the people of God in Joel chapter 1 verse 14 as a result of their disobedience, and Joel says that there was a fast. The people were called to fast and repent. And so they're mourning over the plague and over their sin, but they were fasting. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4. When Nehemiah heard that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and his heart was broken, it says, and it came to pass when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So we're talking about abstaining from food when you're in a state of mourning so severe. Something has just touched you in a way so so intensely that, that sorrow just prohibits you from even thinking about food. Now, hopefully, that would be our sin. You know, that, that's the main thing that we should be sorrowing over. Jesus said that in Matthew 5. But we can sorrow of, over other things. And I'm sure many of you have experienced either a family member dying or knowing someone who lost a very close loved one. And very soon after that event occurs, it's like that person can't eat. That they don't want to eat. My, my father was like that after my mother died. And what do we do? Oh, come on, you got to eat. you got to eat. Come on, you got to keep your strength up. Okay, is food really what's going to help them through that? No, God is. Okay? So it may be appropriate. I'm not saying people just choose to do this. It may be appropriate in some cases like that that people just fast as a natural response to the sorrow. Okay? That's the first one. The second one is when there's a selection and ordination of the elders and commissioning of missionaries in ministry. This is one another example of when they fasted in Scripture. Acts chapter 13 says, When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Talking about Saul and Barnabas in the church of Antioch. The Holy Spirit came to them and said, I want you to separate me, Saul and Barnabas. And so they fasted and prayed to make sure that this is what God wanted for them. And for the ministry, and they fasted and prayed for the ministry to be successful. Alright, so in selecting those men and setting them apart. And then in Acts 14, 19-23, Paul and Barnabas are appointing elders in the church. And it says they did so with prayer and fasting. So appointing leaders in the church, or missionaries, or some kind of minister, is a very, very important thing. And the Bible gives us very... Uh, a, a few examples here of when fasting became appropriate to make sure they were seeking God's will in those things. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul tells Timothy, a young pastor, lay hands on no man suddenly. In other words, don't ordain somebody to ministry very quickly. Why? Because it takes time to get to know the person, and it takes time before God to get to know God's will for that decision. And fasting is part of that. So that's another example. Number three, interce interceding for God's people. In Ezra 10, Ezra rose up, says, rose up from before the house of God, went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Elisha. And when he came thither, he did eat no bread nor drink water, for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. Here he's praying to God for forgiveness of the sins of his people. Daniel chapter 9, same situation. Daniel said, he set my face to the Lord to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. And then he goes on and says, here's my sin. And then he says, my people have sinned as well. So he's just confessing sin. 
his own, but then also the sin of his people and asking God for forgiveness. Again, in Joel chapter 2, the Lord says, and this is God speaking, Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. So God actually commands Israel to fast in their repentance in Joel. And he says, when you come with that kind of a broken heart, where food is really not even as important as getting right with God, then I'll hear you. All right? So interceding and repentance, those things, uh, there's fasting involved. Seeking God for direction, just quickly, in Judges 20, the Israelites fasted to inquire of God whether or not to go to war against the Benjamites. Okay, they sought God in that way. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat proclaims a fast for all of Judah to seek the Lord's protection in the battle against Edom. In Ezra chapter 8, Ezra proclaims a fast and seeks God for a safe journey from Ahava Canal to Jerusalem. So this is asking God's protection. And this is, by the way, Ezra's leading the children of Israel who are coming out of exile in Babylon back to Jerusalem, and it's a wilderness, a desert. There's highwaymen and robbers along the way. And Ezra had told the king, I don't need your armies, I don't want any soldiers, because God has called us to this, and God is going to protect us. And so Ezra prays and fasts and tells the people, we need to fast and ask God for his protection, so that I don't look like a fool and God is not impugned in this. Um, in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, remember the uh, Gentile, who Peter went to visit, he says, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He was praying to God for the way of salvation, and God sent him an angel as he prayed and fasted. Okay? So repentance, direction, protection, um, for healing. We, pray, we can fast for healing. Now, remember Hannah. Hannah was the favored wife of Elkanah, and yet she had no children. And so she prayed and fasted to God that he would give her a son. That was part of her appeal and petition to the Lord was fasting. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, after David sinned with Bathsheba, remember the son that was born was born sickly, and while that son was sick on earth, David fasted and prayed. He ate nothing while that baby was alive. And then after the baby died, then he put his regular clothes on, cleaned himself up, and started eating. And everybody was like, what? what's going on? And he said, well, you know, while he's here, he's sick. But now he's gone. He can't come back to me, but I'm going to go to him. Because there's no reason to mourn when he's in a better place. Okay? So David fasted and prayed for his sick son. Um, in Acts chapter 9, Paul fasted in his prayer to God for healing from the affliction that he has for, for the blindness after he was struck down from the horse on the way to Damascus. He fasted for several days. And here's an interesting one. In Psalm 35, if you read in Psalm 35, it's a prayer of David. And actually, David says this, yet they were ill. When they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. David's talking about his enemies being sick. And so David fasted as he prayed for the health of his enemies. How about when seeking God for deliverance from spiritual oppression? In Mark 9, the disciples couldn't cast out a demon. And remember, Jesus came in 
and cast out the demon. And the disciple said, how come we couldn't do that? He said, this kind only comes out with fasting and prayer. And this is not just in, in Bible times, because we are under spiritual oppression now. In Ephesians 6, the Bible tells us we fight a spiritual battle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So it may be in times of spiritual oppression in our own lives that that may be a cause and a time for fasting for us to seek God's help. Um, I can continue to give you more and more. I don't want to take too much time, but you get the idea. There's multiple reasons why to fast, many examples of fasting in Scripture. And so, it's not an exhaustive list. You can't say, oh, well, Pastor didn't say this, so you know that must not be in the list. It's really about approaching God with a specific request that's extremely important to you in a very unique and intense circumstance in your life. Okay? Those are the occasions of fasting in Scripture. They look different, but it comes down to I have to connect to God on this matter. I need an answer from God, and this becomes the most important thing in my life, is seeking God. And I don't care about food or anything else until I hear from Him. And that's when people fasted. So the question is, when should we fast? Well, again, we have those examples. But it's between us and God. Remember, it's about our heart. It's not about a performance. So if God impresses upon you, or you are convicted about something in your life, or maybe it's a besetting sin that you just can't get control of and victory over, then maybe it's time to consider fasting and really diligently seeking God. It should accompany prayer, obviously, when we're praying for some kind of spiritual breakthrough. And I'm going to add here, if it's all about, well, God, i got to lose weight, so help me fast. Okay, that's called dieting. That's not fasting. All right? Fasting is a spiritual process. It's a physical outward appearance, but there's a spiritual substance to it that dieting doesn't have. <clears throat> Now, we have to remember, when we fast, it's not about earning brownie points. We're not proving anything to God. God knows our hearts. It is a self-denial. I'm willing to give this up. I'm willing to demonstrate to myself, mainly, that connecting with God, that praying to Him, that getting an answer from Him, seeking Him is more important than anything else. That's the substance of fasting. Okay, We have to understand that. Now, I could go more in depth on that. I'm not going to at this point. Okay? Because it's really a personal thing. It's something that happens between the person who, who does it and God. And that's it. And that's what Jesus made very clear here in Matthew chapter 6. So if, I'm not going to say if, when we decide to fast or when God leads us to fast, what are the guidelines? How should we do it? Well, here's... One thing I want you to understand, fasting is never commanded in Scripture as something we must do. You say, well, Pastor, why are you preaching on this? Because Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say, I command you to fast. He's assuming 
that if our hearts are right, or if we're struggling in some spiritual way, that this is something we will engage in with God to seek His help, or to seek His deliverance, or to seek His forgiveness. Because it shows that we're serious about it. And we're willing to sacrifice in this specific way in order to get the answer that we need. And so even though it's not commanded, I think it's important for us. What we are commanded to do is pray. When we've looked at that over the last several weeks or so, we must pray, but when you add fasting to it, it kind of takes it to a new level. All right? In Matthew chapter 9, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, you know, we fast twice in the week. How come your disciples don't fast? If they, they're supposed to be religious, why don't they fast? You remember Jesus' answer? He said, well, the guests, the wedding guests, don't mourn while the bridegroom is still here. Now, there's two things that we get with that answer from Jesus. Number one, there's no command to fast. It's not something we must do to be spiritual. But it destroys this model of self-righteous fasting that the Pharisees practiced. But it also equates it with extreme times and unique situations because he literally says it's, it's done in times of mourning. Okay? So extreme situations or specific things that we really need to hear from God on. And so the purpose of a fast is to draw closer to God and to use the time seeking Him in that specific area that you would normally use eating to feed on Him and His Word. And in prayer. Okay? So it's setting aside the food, and I'm going to use food as the example. Instead of taking that time for meals, I'm going to take that time and go to God. Now in the Psalms, as well as in Lamentations, David and Jeremiah both said, The Lord is my portion. The substance of that phrase means, God is all I need. And we need to understand that, because this is kind of a foundational principle of fasting. God is all we need. If people start saying, well, you know, I don't fast because I've got this health issue. I don't fast because, you know, I, I have low blood sugar or I don't, you know, fasting is not going to help me physically. That's not what it's about. Okay, and if you approach this and say, well, you know, fasting might hurt me. Are you relying more on the food to sustain you or are you relying more on God? Who do we really need more, the food or God? Okay, that's the question that comes to play when we fast. And we recognize, God is all I need. And if I'm connecting with Him, if I'm fellowshipping with Him, if I'm petitioning Him in fervent prayer as I fast, I don't need to eat. Because God's the one that sustains me. And so as long as He wants me to, to keep in that mode of fasting, He'll take care of me. I don't need the food. Okay? So, prayer or fasting is not commanded. Prayer is. We must pray. And that leads me to the second guideline. Fasting must always be accompanied by prayer. You don't ever have fasting in Scripture apart from prayer. And so somebody who fasts but doesn't pray, no biblical foundation for that. Okay? And as much as you, I've studied about prayer and fasting, I've, I've looked through Scripture as much as I could, and there's nothing in the Bible where you have fasting apart from prayer, it's always connected. And it doesn't explain the reasons why there's spiritual power or real substance in our prayer when there's fasting. 
But that's what we see over and over and over. I told you there's nine, over 90 examples of fasting in Scripture. And every single one of them is accompanied by prayer. And so prayer must be part of the fasting. Otherwise, it's not biblical fasting. You might as well just go on a diet. Okay? Third, here's the third guideline. The Bible also does not give a specific duration for fasting. Now, when we think fasting, we think of Jesus in the wilderness preparing for ministry, right? How long did he fast? 40 days, 40 nights, okay? So Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. There's implications. That's what John the Baptist did. Moses didn't eat for 40 days when he was up on Mount Sinai getting the, the law from God. So people have taken that and said, oh, well, 40 days then. That's the spiritual parameter for this type of fasting. Okay, well, that's not consistent. Because we have cases in Scripture where some people fasted for three days. We have other places where some people fasted for ten days. Some people, it just says they fasted. It didn't say how long. So there's no prescription to say, oh, well, the Bible says I have to fast for ten days, or three days, or forty days. Okay, you fast as long as God convicts you and leads you to remain in that fast. Now, let me give you an example. Pastor John MacArthur gives this illustration. Um, years ago, his son Mark was diagnosed with a possibly fatal brain tumor. And as he began to go in God in fervent prayer, he didn't eat. He was so engaged in seeking God for an answer to this, he didn't eat for nine days. During this time, he was taking his son back and forth to the doctor for tests. His son was a, 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 a late teenager, early 20s, just in college. And he just sought God on this. And he said, at the end of nine days, at the end of that day, he was in his office. It was dark outside. Nobody was in the church building. All the doors were locked. And as he struggled with God in prayer, he finally came to this realization that his son really belonged to God. And there was no reason for him to belabor this thing. And if God wanted to take him to heaven, his son would be better off in heaven. So he said, okay, Lord, it's all in your hands. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. And as he prayed that prayer, there was a knock on his door, on his office door. And he was surprised because the church building was locked. All the lights were off. He was the only person in the building. His door was locked. And as he opened the door, there was a little old lady that had been in his church for years. And she said, well, I was walking by the church. I saw the lights were on. I thought you might be hungry, so I brought you a sandwich. Okay? God told him when the fast was done by specifically bringing him food. Now, I'm not going to say that God's going to do that for you. But he didn't have a duration. He prayed until he got the answer he needed. And then God provided food for him. Okay, so there's no specific duration. And there's no specific type. Now, I mentioned fasts are an abstinence from food. Not eating. Okay? And that's the standard. That's what we call an absolute fast. In fact, some people will go without food or water for three days. And again, you go, oh, well, what about my health? You know, you can't live without water. Really? You can't live without God. That's the point. So I, I, you, you can't put these health, these, oh, well, you need water. Well, you need, you need God. That's the substance of it. Okay? So there's the absolute fast. No food or water. There's what's called a normal fast. I didn't make these up. I don't know why they got these words. But a normal fast, it means no food, but you drink water. Okay, and this one can be an extended fast, 21 days, 40 days. Okay, this is probably what Jesus did. Then there's a partial fast, and this is what Daniel did, by the way, in Babylon. Remember when they wanted him to eat the king's meat 
And he said, no, I'm not going to partake of that. I'm just going to eat vegetables and water for 10 days. Okay, so it wasn't a total fast. He just abstained from certain types of food so that he could prove the power of God, okay, in his life. Okay, and then there's an alternative fast. And this is what I mentioned before. It could be a fast in something other than food. We give up TV. We give up social media. We give up dessert. We give up whatever. The point is not to lose weight, to be able to use my time more wisely, to get more time in my day. The point is, whatever we give up must be replaced by a focused, concentrated, fervent seeking of the Lord in that time. Okay, so no matter how you choose to fast, it's between you and God. But you should be seeking God, that's the whole point of it. Now, let me make one comment about corporate fasting. I'm going to wrap this up in just a minute. Okay, there are, there are examples in Scripture of people being called to fast by their leaders. Moses called Israel to fast. Esther, when she went before the king, remember, asked all the Jews to fast for God to give them an answer for her safety. Ezra called the people to fasting and prayer and repentance. So there's lots of fasting. In fact, Nineveh. When Jonah went and preached at Nineveh, the king of Nineveh heard the truth of the gospel and he called for a complete fast in the whole city. Okay, over 100,000 people. So there's corporate fasting examples. And when we talk about corporate fasting, people, some people can get excited. Okay? And it's very easy sometimes as leaders or pastors to get this idea of corporate fasting. Now look at what God did when the whole church fasted together. Or when this whole group fasted together. And so they call corporate fast. And I think in a sense that might defeat the whole purpose. Okay? Because now we're asking people to do something that we would like them to do. I'm not saying God doesn't want us to. But as I mentioned, Jesus said, when you do it, don't let anybody else know you do it. He didn't give any explanation about corporate fasting. Okay, so you get mixed responses. But when groups in the Bible were called to fast, it was people who normally were already fasting as part of their regular life. And I'm not saying just fasting the fifth and second day, okay, of the week as the, as the Pharisees did. They fasted when they were seeking God. That's just the way it was. Okay? When the king of Nineveh called for a fast, I mean, he was calling for repentance. He wanted everybody to be saved. Okay, so there was a spiritual substance to that. But in every instance of corporate fasting in Scripture, they were focused on seeking God for a specific answer in a specific situation. So I'm not saying corporate fasting is wrong. I am saying, if you look at how it's used today, most of it's outside the parameters of what Scripture gives us, as far as what it should be. Okay? So... Um, it's of no use when it's just a general call to fast with no purpose in mind. I listened to a guy on the radio, <clears throat> and he was saying, well, you know, everybody should jump in and do this Wednesday fast. We fast every Wednesday. What are we seeking God about? Well, we fast and pray. What are we praying about? Well, whatever. No, it's not whatever. It's something specific that fasting is geared toward, okay? And that, that's the problem I have with just fasting, that's the problem the Pharisees had. So, corporate fasting, that's just my note on that. You don't have to pay extra for that. Okay? Um, we've got to wrap this up. So let me, let me just conclude with this. Okay? I think I've given you enough biblical principles here and the examples from Scripture to understand fasting. 
Again, coming back to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, when you do it, okay, when you do it, don't let people know about it. Don't make it a public thing. It doesn't gain you brownie points with God. It doesn't do anything to make you a better Christian. It doesn't demonstrate that you are a super Christian. It is part of a Christian's life when we are seeking God specifically and intently for a specific answer in a specific situation. And getting his answer in that thing becomes more important than anything else in our life. That's when fasting becomes the appropriate thing to do. And God will lead us to do that if we're open to it. Okay? So I don't want everybody to go home and start fasting. Right? Um, unless God leads you to. If there's something you need to pray about that God is leading you to, now you have some biblical guidelines to work with. Alright, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer here. Thank you, Lord, again, that you taught us about all the things that we need to know. And even though you haven't given us a lot about fasting here in this passage in Matthew, Lord, you've given us a lot of examples and a lot of other illustrations of how it should be used. So, Lord, lead us in the right way in this matter. And Lord, help us to use this idea of fasting in a way that pleases you, but in a way that will connect us more deeply with you. And as we seek you in prayer, as we look for your answers in specific areas of our life. And Lord, help us to understand, most of all, that you are the most important thing to us. We need you more than anything else. And so guide us with this truth today. Again, thank you that you teach us from your word. And may we be doers of the word and not hearers only. For with us now we pray in Jesus' name. We're going to close very quickly.